Hi, I'm the Strategist Cowboy. Today I am reviewing a Danish craft beer lager and an, and an Italian lager. Our first contestant this week is the Danish lager beer called New York Lager from Nørrebro Brygges in Copenhagen. A New York lager costs 23 Swedish kronas or about 2 US dollars and 70 cents. It's kinda expensive for a lager beer, even if it is a craft beer. The high price tag can only be motivated if the beer is very tasty. The beer has got a 5.2% ABV. The beer contains water, barley malt, hops and yeast. The brewery claims to be ecologic, bio and organic in its production methods. But actually, they just use natural ingredients. They have no fancy installations to preserve energy or anything, at, no, at least not to my knowledge. They never stated. The hop is of the American sort, Cascade. The beer is canned in a golden can with a white strap running around it with the writing New York Lager on it. The can is sized 33 centiliters, i.e. about 11 liquid ounces bottle. The New York Lager is said by Sustainable to best be served at 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperature. How about the experience then? The beer has got uh, two fingers tall head and uh, it's uh, orangey in color. Orange, uh, yeah, orange. And it's, it's got a faint aroma. The taste is... Um, not bad. It's... Um, well, it's not the best taste. And it's not very rich. It's 5.2%, so okay. It's over Pilsner level. It's not rich. It's not bread-like. 
and it's not yeasty. The taste on my palate is not very good. So I'm retracting the, the statement I made about it being a good beer. Uh, it's not very sweet. Oh, no, it's not sweet. It's not. And it's not very bitter either. And it's not candy-like. What is it? Is it? Has it got any fruitiness? No, I don't think so. I wouldn't say so. And I sense no spices. This is just a no, 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 no. The undertone is... Um, not very good and the carbonation level is very low very low it's not creamy it's not acidic and there are no particular aberrations but uh, i've tasted better pilsner beers than this one and this is a craft beer, should be. I don't think it's very good. Okay, what about grading then? I have to grade this beer three devils out of ten possible, not more. I've tasted better Pilsners, as I said. Danish business also. That was an expensive beer for that taste. It's uh, not very good. Okay. Our next contestant is the Italian light lager Peroni Nastro Azzurro from Peron Brewery in Italy, located smack in the wine belt. Bira Peroni was founded in 1846 by Francesco Peroni. Nastro, uh, Nastro Azzurro means blue ribbon. Today the brewery is owned by the Japanese Asahi Brewery. A Peroni beer costs 17 Swedish kronas or about two US dollars. Will it be worth it? I am skeptical. Stick to wine, you toga wearers. Just kidding. I have nothing principal against Italians. But I think I do have something against the beers in the whole of the Latin world. Stick to wine. The beer has got a 5.1% ABV. It contains water. Malted barley, Italian maize, hop, and hop extract, i.e. a taste enhancer. The beer is canned in a white 33 centiliters, i.e. about 11 liquid, ounce, 11 liquid ounces can. 
Peroni Nastro Azzurro is said by Sustainbloget to best be served at about 8 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says that the preferred serving temperature, serving temperature for similar beers, since this beer isn't on their Italian-speaking website, is just 4 to 6 degrees Celsius, i.e. only 39 to 43 degrees Fahrenheit. What? Do they want to freeze my taste buds off? It is rather typical for Latino beer breweries to recommend a serving temperature well below 8 degrees Celsius. On the other end of the scale, we have the Belgian beers. They are typically best served at 12 to 14 degrees Celsius. How about the experience then? Okay, it's got it's um, color is very light, very light yellow. Extremely light, actually. It's almost like water, <laughs> not quite, but it's got a big, large head. It's uh, about uh, two more than two fingers tall. If it's got any any aroma, it's very faint, through the foam at least. Okay. That was the color, the aroma and the foam. What about the taste? I don't like it. It's not rich. It's not rich. It's not bread like. At least I don't think so. And it's not yeasty, I think. It's got some... Let's get back to that. To that. Uh, sweetness. Not very sweet. More dry than sweet. Just like the former beer was very dry, the former beer. And the bitterness on this one is... I don't think it's very bitter. And it's not candy-like. I sense no fruitiness in it.
I don't think there are any spices in it. I don't think so. And the undertone is not good. The carbonation level there. Low, low, it's very low, I think. And it's not creamy, not at all. It's not acidic, but there are some aberrations in it. Like, yeah, high frequency aberration. Uh, it's. Um, I don't like it. Okay, what about the aftertaste? Uh, I don't have um, my usual tools for recording. I have to record uh, on uh, the uh, Anchor uh, website uh, or whatever you call it. I have to record on there. Um, podcast uh, page it didn't work uh, to, to make it on uh, my tools on my computer so i'll have to do it here directly and this is not a good beer uh, is it worse than the former beer the danish beer Yes, it actually is. I'd give this beer... Okay, what about grading then? And the aftertaste of, of it is not good. What about grading then? How many devils? I grade this beer two devils out of ten possible. So I had bad luck this uh, week. I um, couldn't get, get a good tasting, a good flavored beer. So, um, what can I do? Okay. Absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underaged or pregnant. Thank you. This week's lesson is a strategic lesson. It's called, Why Syria? This is not the full story about Syria. I make no claim that it is. Following the Arabic Spring, Arabic Spring, within quotation marks, we saw the ISIS terror organization grow out of it. It is very hard to keep track on the events in Syria because of the many belligerent participators. The protagonists in the Syrian drama are mainly Israel, the United States, Iran, Russia, Turkey, ISIS, the Syrian forces, and later on a couple of rebel groups, all of them with their own agenda. 
Massive smoke screens have been laid in a fog of war by the participators in order to conceal their true intentions or even their own participation in this war and how. Turkey's President Erdogan apologized in a letter to President Putin in June 2016 for the downing of a Russian fighter plane somewhere near the border between Turkey and Syria in November 2015. The pilot was killed, according to Putin's press spokesman. Exactly on which side of the border the fighter aircraft was shot down is contested. The letter opened up for a thawing in the icy relations between the two countries. Putin initiated economic sanctions after the downing of the Russian airplane, and he also ended the Russian people's extensive traveling trips to Turkey. Millions of Russian tourists visit Turkey every year. For a while, it was debated whether there would come a military clash. Prior to the downing of the airplane, Russia and Turkey had good relations, both in the economic and the political spheres. It was obvious that for Moscow, as well as for Ankara, it would have been become too expensive to continue with hostility. The Russian energy giant Gazprom immediately declared that it was now ready to renegotiate the construction of a large gas pipeline to Turkey following the Turkish apology. What was still unclear was what effect this approach would have on the war in Syria, where Russia and Turkey reportedly actively supported different sides of the fighting. Russia could probably have predicted the Arab Spring because of the signs of what was the growing size of General Gaddafi's ego which was already before notably large. With a shiny drawn sword and shining armor, the Peace Prize winner Obama went into action on his chivalrously and loyal steed. Finally, a new world would be created through the domino effect. Always the domino effect. The US administration, possibly Obama personally, named the Arabic Spring early in the operation or even before it was executed. North Africa and the Middle East would develop into a thriving region with associated economic development, peace, security and freedom. Possibly the issue of Israel would also be resolved and Iran be held back. But above all, the threat from the Libyan African gold currency would be cleared away. Gaddafi believed that the West would voluntarily pay for oil with gold. He was so greedy that he did not even understand that gold is only available in a very limited amount. He must be taken out of the game. The military operation was led by France and the United Kingdom. Yet another world than they intended was created. And then our brave knight went on doing the mistake to allow ISIS to grow strong. Not because Obama was evil, but because he wanted to oppose Iran and counter Russia's and Iran's converging plans to overthrow Israel, etc. Syria was the chessboard. Europe became the loser in this game, 
But in the long run, I think it will be the US which lose influence. Russia could claim that the United States of America did nothing and even supplied ISIS with weapons. Think about it for a moment. Why was CIA's Operation Timber Sycamore kept covert by orders from President Obama if the purpose with the operation was to arm the rebel groups? But the Kremlin didn't mention the fact that Russia together with Iran plotted to destroy Israel and whip up a, whip up a massive refugee wave to Europe in order to weaken the to Russia and Iran antagonizing West European regimes. The destroying of Israel didn't succeed, but the latter went way over expectations. How can we know it was Russia that bombarded Syria? That is easy to ascertain. There are reportedly 40,000 Russian citizens in Syria, of which most probably are tourists in the unharmed Tartus, Tartus or Latakia, or the rather untouched central Aleppo. In addition, Russia also have a naval base in Tartus and an air base in Latakia. Both cities were spared from bombardment with cruise missiles. And today's homework is uh, the following. Am I right to point out the relationship between Russia and Turkey first and not bother about the other players' interactions because they have a predictable pattern in their actions? I was thinking that the Russian-Turkish relationship was the only truly volatile relationship that could go either way at the time. But then again, the US armed the ISIS terrorists so that they, hopefully, as good Sunni Muslims, would fight the Shia Muslim Iranians. Can you come up with a better explanation for the supposed arming of the ISIS by the US? Was ISIS allowed to continue to exist so that they can pose a threat to the Iranian forces in Syria? I cannot prove that my suspicions are true, but if they are, it was an impressive planning by Obama. I would even be inclined to see it as Obama's biggest achievement during his eight years in the White House, except for his war speech when he received the Nobel Peace Prize and got away with his war speech and walked away with resounding applause, a gold medal and 10 million Swedish crowns or so. It was much like a bank robbery, complete with the victim's Stockholm syndrome and all. Thank you and see you later, alligator, at a wild crocodile. Oh, thank you.